quite simply because they suffer as much. They are also on the Titanic. They also realize that to secede, well, I realize and I know it's the only option except if anybody can t give me another, another option. There is no other option to solve this problem. But if these black, and I'm talking, I don't want to say who, but there are more than one. There are at least three big groupings that wants to secede as well. Then we know and we realize we are on the right path, for sure. Hello, my name is Donald, and welcome to the number one media company, Worldview. At Worldview, we explore everyone's perspectives on all things that can broaden our worldview. Last time, we were in Azerbaijan, Iran. Today, we are in a completely different venue. We are just south of the Caucasian Mountains in Georgia. A special guest today is Hein Marx. Hein Marx is an accomplished business owner, commercial pilot, and he is the president of the United Liberty Alliance. Hein, welcome to our venue here. Thank you. It's quite a nice flight up to Georgia. First time I've been in the Caucasus. Thank you. So, Ayn, what I didn't mention is that you were a spokesperson for former President P.W. Buerta. Can you tell us, because I want to move this conversation to F.W. de Klerk, who recently passed away, why was he called a Groot Crocodile? Because a crocodile is, if you treat him wrong, a very dangerous animal. If you treat a crocodile correct, it's a beautiful animal, but a Groot Crocodile, is even worse if you treat him wrong. If you treat him right, he's actually very docile. And that's exactly P.W. Buerta. But isn't it also to do with something that he was very efficient? I don't know if the analogy of a Groot Crocodile still plays out, but he was a very efficient character. He was, a, he was an extremely efficient, loyal, patriotic, most probably one of the most efficient politicians we've had in this country. Because of history, because of, of what happened, because of a lot of things that happened, he was painted totally wrong, completely. I knew him more than just his spokesperson. I did a lot of things for him, including their finances, everything. So I knew him as a person. He was very efficient. He loved his people. He loved his country. And whatever he did, he did it because he believed it. That's why he was so efficient. In fact, he was the one that built the army as one of the best trained armies in the world. And what was the relationship between him and Evie de Klerk like? Did they have a cordial relationship? When? Well, probably, okay, uh, since you met him or you, you became a spokesperson. Well, that was obviously then after 87. Put it this way, well, he definitely didn't like FW. And there are very, very clear reasons for it. But he also didn't like FW because of what FW admitted to him that he took money for the so-called, call it negotiations if you want to, in 1993. From? From various organizations. Let me rather put it this way. To end, to end the settlement quickly. To, to, end, to end apartheid and to end the whole NP government. That's interesting you mentioned that because I've spoken to Dr. Grunewald from the Freedom Front Plus and I asked him the question, did FW de Klerk sell out? Did he, 
could he have negotiated a better settlement where there was more federalism, a confederacy, or even independent states? Do you think he could have uh, negotiated a much better settlement? And what was his answer? No. Well, he could have. He could have negotiated a much better settlement, if that's what Dr. Grunewald said. He was in government. Why didn't he do anything about it then? We all know he could have negotiated. We all know that this was a sellout. We know it. Yes, we know there was problems. Obviously, there was problems. Of which the biggest problems were the financial problems the country had because of, of uh, sanctions against it. But being as strong as we were military-wise, being as strong through the fact that we had nuclear weapons, not using them. America doesn't have nuclear weapons to use them. It's a deterrent. That's all it is. We know it. God forbid the day that any country starts using their nuclear weapons. But that was as if it didn't even exist. Let's just give it away and let's just get some money for it in the process. It's not that it's a secret. The difference is I was there when he admitted that he received money. But, oh, he why? even mentioned the amount. But, oh, why would he do that? Why would he admit it? In fact, when he admitted it, his immediate reaction was he realized he made a mistake and he said, you must excuse me, I've got to go now. And PW still said, no, at least you can have the decency to thank my wife for the cake and coffee you got. Oh, sorry, he said tea. Cake and tea you got. He realized he made a mistake. Wow, okay. Um. <laughs> but it goes much further and deeper than that because it's, it wasn't only about the money. It was also about the pressure that was put on FW because of all his shenanigans in London. It's a lot of stuff like this, but that's not why I'm here. No, so, okay, so I know you are the president, I believe, the president of the United Liberty Alliance. What does the United Liberty Alliance um, strives to achieve? Well, we're working funny enough, uh, towards the solution for the problem. We don't want to talk about the problem all the time because how long do we want to talk about it? It's been 27 years now. I don't think there's one person in this country with two brain cells that doesn't know that we've got serious problems in this country. But talking about the problem is not going to solve the problem. We've got to find a solution. Now we have a solution and we are working at the solution. International law secession. Okay, in, but in 1950, in 1950, uh, I think it was 95 countries that successfully seceded. Today, it's 195. The interesting thing is, we talk about a lot of different countries. Um, well, the last one that, that, that successfully seceded was South Sudan. But we forget about the closest ones to our borders. Do you know where it is? To our borders... Meaning, obviously, well, thank you, Namibia, Rhodesia. They successfully, in fact, Namibia seceded and Rhodesia declared a unilateral declaration of independence. Okay, but that situation was also unique with a minority white government in Rhodesia. But I, I think another good example... All situations are unique. Yeah, yeah but, but I mean, another good example would be Czechoslovakia, I think. And the, yeah, yeah, it's one of them. So what, what happened in Czechoslovakia? Do you know? I well, think just for our viewers... Czechoslovakia is a, a war that came on for literally 800 years. And that was literally a war of Christians against Muslims. That came on since the Ottoman Empire took that area. 
and it just exploded. Obviously, it was suppressed during the, the time after the Russian Revolution, when that became part of the um, Russian republics. And I mean, we all know that that was a, it was a militaristic, communistic dictatorship. Nobody could do anything. So the moment that they could get out of it, they wanted and knew they could get their freedom. So they got it. And again, you can say, but that was unique, of course, because all situations is unique. Our situation in South Africa is unique. And if you look at international law on secession, it was written specifically because they realized that all situations is unique. Uh, do you have any other examples of countries? Well, it's, uh, that seceded? Yeah. Well, who was the first one that seceded? You know. 1776, America. Yeah, United States, yeah. That was the first country that seceded away from their so-called mother country, England. There's many. Belarus, Lithuania, Georgia, I mean, many. And um, I know the ULA claims to be 97% complete in the legal process. What does that mean? And what is the remaining 3%? What does that mean? Okay. No, we don't claim that we are 97% there. Uh, there are other people that use the figure uh, to, try and, to try and make us if it's stupid. There is no percentage. Somebody have put the figure of 97% on the process. If you really go and look at the process of all the different things that you've got to do, it is most probably around 95 to 98%. 97%, I'm happy with that. But there are three outstanding processes that we need to successfully secede. But who's we? This is the important thing. Funny enough, it includes those people that want to make fun of it. It includes all the minorities in this country. And who's the minorities? The minorities, we have determined, again, in terms of international law, broadly described as all Europeans and all coloreds. Those are the minorities. Mm. But how do we, did we determine it? Partly also, it's all the people that are affected by the so-called BBEEE legislation. Those are the minorities. Meaning, we are on the receiving side, the whites and the coloreds are on the receiving side of these BEE laws. These racist laws. That's what it is. It's racist laws. Ramaphosa is the one that talked about his people. Interesting. So who's his people? Is that perhaps the same people that now, since COVID came in, are the only people that may receive money from these funds? Yes, it is. Is it the same people that may only receive help from the government for businesses? Yes, it's the same people we know it. So the reality is, Ramaphosa is an absolute racist. If Ramaphosa opens his mouth, apart from the fact that he never knows what happened, he always says, well, I don't know about it. I didn't know about that. It's interesting. But that will also backfire on him very badly. But I think slowly he's starting to realize that, hopefully as well. He was part of the negotiations with what we're doing. He was the one that said, as the vice president of the country, not as somebody from a political party, we've got to go and talk 
to Mantasha, the Secretary General of the ANC, about secession. Really? Why do we have to talk about uh, to talk to the ANC? Why do we have to talk about a, about secession, a government problem with a political party? They've got nothing to do with it. You talk to the government. But luckily, that's part of our legal document for secession, which again, funny enough, my own people, or some of them, individuals, that want to get political points out of it, because it's only about politics to some people, say that there's nothing that we can prove where we are with this process. Yes, we are definitely 100% there. The process, through our lawyers, through our advocates, through our senior advocates that's also involved, is a legal document. That same people should know better to know that you don't put a legal argument document in public domain. But if you are so arrogant to do anything possible for political points and votes, then that kind of, I don't have nice words for it, comes over your mouth and lips. Because there might actually be peop people that believe the nonsense that you talk. It's an international legal process that we're busy with. That means the legal file gets thicker and thicker. When you're talking about this document, are you including the, uh, do you call it the registrations, the signatures? No, not, that's, I'm, not, I'm not referring to that, no. Okay. But that's there as well. Because, the, again, the difference is the, the mandates that we have in terms of international law must be audited at some stage. So for us to turn around and say, we've got so many and so many hundred thousands of votes, knowing that we don't have to prove it, we know that will mean very nice um, political points for us. But we're not into politics. We're into solving the problem. So therefore, we've only got genuinely 400 and, I don't know, I think it's 460,200 odd votes. Why? Because each and every name can be audited. And how much do you need? Two million. Okay, and that's for the half of South Africa. What is that map that you're that, creating? That is the area, the map that we use. Again, it's international law. It's one of the requirements of being able to succeed. It's part of the process. You've got to determine your group of people, which we've done. You've got to determine the area. But the area, you've got to say why. What is the legal basis on that area? Yes, but my great opas, tani's friends, sons, daughters, friend lived there. It's not a legal argument. That's an emotional argument. The legal argument for the area that we've determined is very simple. We started the process. This process was officially started in 2011. Luckily, in 2011, the government, the, the ANC government, by the way, still had money. You see, then they, they stole, but not as much as today. They still had money to do, to do an um, IEC census. Mm. And on that, we determined that in the area that we show, the so-called minorities is actually the majority, mm. because possession is 99% of the law, because that's where most of the people stay. Irrelevant of how many millions they bus, fly, swim, 
trace into that area after 2011. That is our goalpost. 2011, the South African ANC government's own census figures. And we don't keep it to ourselves. They know it. They're part of this. Part of that file I'm talking about, there are many letters from the government acknowledging all of this. So, so you've mentioned Ramaphosa. He was one of the chief negotiators that created the constitution that we now have in South Africa. Um, in that constitution, there was guaranteed a folk start, I believe. Or no. the, the idea of a folk start was constant for you? Yeah, no, it wasn't. No, it's not. It works different. Um, in 1993, Constant Fulyun went to Andrews, who was the American ambassador in Pretoria, because they were friends. And he told Andrews that if the ANC, with all those negotiations, does not sign the accord, which the accord is the ANC government giving the Afrikaner the right to have a folk start. They were still talking about folk start then. If they're not prepared to sign that accord, he will start a war. Now, Constant Fulyun was not only very well known to me, he was a friend of mine. I knew him very well. Now, if Andrew knew him, Andrews, the, the American ambassador, he would also have known that he meant it. In fact, it was so serious that Andrews phoned Mandela and said, you better sign this, otherwise... We as America will withdraw from South Africa. We're not going to be in this country when this election on the 27th of April 1994 takes place because there will be a war. And that was literally the 22nd of April. And the next day, Constant Fulyun, Rolf Meyer for the National Party, and Thabo Mbeki for the ANC signed that accord. Now, that accord was the basis for Article 235 in the Constitution to be put in. The interesting thing about Article 235 is that as it stands there today, it's totally useless, worthless for us because it actually states right at the end as will be determined by legislation. Mm. Right, it's 27 years later. Where's the legislation? It's not there. Why isn't it there? Who must table that legislation in Parliament? The ANC. No, the political party that stands for self-determination. Why would the ANC table the, 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 the um, legislation themselves to say, right, now take it? They won't do it, but the legislation, I mean, the, the, the law is there. Article 235 is there. So now the next question arises. If Article 235 was written like that, who is the... It must be, you must be either incredibly stupid or you knew exactly what you were doing by writing Article 235 as it was written and then put into the Constitution. Now, the person that goes around telling everybody that he was the one that put it in, well, he's got a lot of answers to, to answer on that one. Yeah, no, I understand what you say that um, like a, a party like the Freedom Front Plus should have tabled it, but don't you need the support of the ANC to get it through Parliament? I didn't say... Freedom Front Plus should have tabled it, but you're right, that is the right party, yes. Because Article 3 of their constitution is the, the article that says that they stand for self-determination. And then the next question arises, what have they done for self-determination in the past 27 years? Do you know? 
because I don't know. All I know is that they've done nothing. I've seen nothing. Okay, but I've also heard that the party leader, the leader, a couple of months ago, said that he's totally against it. And that's on record. And literally a week or two later, one of his top members says that they're totally for self-determination. Wow, something is seriously wrong. But then again, that's why we are there as individuals, as business people that understands what two and two is. To those people, two and two is 22. We realize that it's actually only four to solve it. Because these people are not interested in the solution. They're definitely not interested in self-determination because self-determination for those people means no soft jobs with green soft cushions in Parliament and massive pensions anymore. And that we must understand and realize. If we get self-determination, political parties in the new country obviously doesn't exist anymore. Does it sound funny? No. Why was one of the most important things, fact, one of, one of the most important things in the 1993 negotiations, ask Ramaphosa, how will the National Party ministers be protected? That's a bomb. Did the people know that? I don't think so. But that's a fact. Okay. Um, okay, but the devil's advocate, I'm perhaps not so clued up with the political system, but I think a person like um, Peter Mulder and Dr. Grunewald, he would, they would argue that we can table this motion, but it's, if it doesn't get the support of the ANC, nothing's going to happen. So it's going to be a waste of time. Thank you for that argument, because if that's how they argue, then why are they in Parliament to earn salaries? What are they doing there? That proves my exact point that it's impossible to get self-determination through a political system. Why? Because politics works only on one thing, only one, votes. 50% plus one. So what does the figures tell us in South Africa? If you look at the minorities, we are approximately, and then white and coloreds, we are approximately 17% of the total population. If you do the totally impossible, and yes, I mean it's totally impossible. You get all the whites and all the coloreds to vote for one party. Where does it bring you? Nowhere. All it gives you is more and more money in the bank for the party, higher and higher salaries for the senior ranking members, and bigger pensions. But you can't do anything. Okay, so I'm hoping to speak to Alan Winder within probably the next few weeks. And it seems like it's a position of the DA that they will now give a referendum on Cape independence within the Western Cape. They're very coy about it, very ambiguous. Do you think that will happen, that they will give a referendum? Wait a second. What would the, what would the mandate say? To give a <laughs> referendum is one thing, because the Western Cape has officially got the power to do it. But a referendum for what? To do what? To break away from South Africa as a sovereign new country or to get more power for the DA in the Western Cape? Ah, ask him that question. Then we know where they stand. But we don't. I already know where they stand because that's what they want. 
They don't want to break away from the rest of the country. They don't want sovereignty. They don't want to follow the route of secession. Am I speaking for the DA? No, I'm not speaking for the DA. I'm speaking out of their own mouths, including Helen Zillers in her own office. You see, I think we got to a point in South Africa where we've got to stop playing politics. We've got to stop pulling the wool over people's eyes and start looking at the facts in this country. We are all going to sink. We are all on the Titanic. The only people on that Titanic that won't feel it are the people in the swimming pool because they'll go into the water, under the water, still in the water. The rest will die. The rest will be gone. So to play politics in South Africa is dangerous. The people that are so worried about their their, uh, pension funds, their... (laughs) Ministers, pension funds, the normal pension funds from from Parliament, are they really that stupid not to realise that even that pension can disappear? I don't have the answer on that. What I do know is that the poor transnet people lost everything. The transnet people in this country, thousands of them died receiving a pension smaller than the minimum SASA payments. Wow. How proud must we be, we be as South Africans? Yeah, so, so you mentioned so the DA only wants to gain more power with this referendum, but isn't those two things the same? I mean, if the Western Cape were to secede, the DA can only gain more power because they are the governing party. So it's in their favor both ways to let the Western Cape succeed. Not, if, not out of the mouth of Helen Zeller, who told me straight in her office that their goal is to take over South Africa completely as a majority party. That's not what I said, she said it. When you live in a lala land like that, if you don't even know yourself, Helen Zeller, that for instance, all these BEE laws. Yes, she knows it. She's the one that called me when she got into trouble on her Twitter account to please send her the stuff. Doesn't even know about the existence of Article 235. But you want to lead your people to a better life and you don't even know the basis of the Constitution. What are you doing there then? So am I saying, what are you doing there, Helen Ziller? Yes, I'm saying, what are you doing there, Helen Ziller? What are these people doing there trying to give us a better life? They're not trying to give us a better life. They're trying to give themselves a better life. And this is where we are at this stage. We're at a point where we've got to stop trying to play politics. If people don't like the tone that I'm saying this in, or they don't like the facts, tough luck. Because if we go down on this Titanic, I won't be deader than you. We'll be both dead. If we have any questions from the audience, um, I have questions, I have a lot of questions, but if we have any questions, you can ask that. Yes, Yes, that man over there. Why not work with Cape Exit? Isn't their approach more practical, seeing as it is confined to a smaller area? Firstly, to answer the first part of the question, why not work with Cape Exit? 
I have issued many, many statements that we will work with any organization that legally works towards secession. So why don't they work with us? First part of the question. Secondly, isn't this more practical because of the size? That's not a legal argument. And secession is a legal process. The fact, because if, if, if that is the argument, then why not only make Cape Town independent? Because that's even smaller. So if we say that we're not going the legal route that we're going with our argument of where the minorities is actually the majority, then we are saying, let's go it the easy way and leave the other people out of it. Tough luck for you guys. We'll do it only for ourselves. So no, we will definitely not make the area smaller because it's so-called looks easier. The difficult way is sometimes even the better way. So in this case, in terms of working together, I think I've answered you on that, in terms of the area, um, we can't change the law. We can't say uh, where the majority is the minority and suddenly we just cut a piece off. So we can't do that now. Sorry, I'll get to you now. So just a quick follow-up. I know they would argue that they can't secede Cape Town because Cape Town is very liberal and doesn't really support Cape independence. And you really don't only get your support from the rural areas, but you can't secede the rural areas. So that is, what you're saying is totally right, but that's exactly where the problem is. So let the liberals pay, where the money comes from, let them be in, but let's get the votes from the people that we don't look after. Don't worry about the, the towns with the biggest potholes, with the biggest problems, with no water, with serious problems in terms of infrastructure. Let's get them in for that. That's politics, that's playing politics. And we are not into politics. We want freedom. We want genuine freedom. If that means that that same liberal, liberal will also get freedom, well then, so be it. Let him have it. Let him enjoy it. Perhaps his eyes will open or her eyes will open. But we want genuine freedom. That's what we stand for. Yes, sir. Yeah, to open to the question you ask, um, and isn't there other cultures out there that also want to secede? Oh yes, for sure. I mean, remember one thing to, to start with, the, the, we work with all the different groupings, Khoi, San, Griqua, Nama. In fact, um, I had a meeting today with one of the Griqua queens, Queen Dondalea. Uh, that wasn't our first meeting, but they work with us. But it actually goes much further than that. So, yes, and I've actually heard the joke, again, playing, trying to play politics, that we are racist. Interesting that we are the only, only organization with our vice president being a, a koi. The only organization that officially work with all the other groupings. But, you know, if you want to look, make yourself look better, then... It's easy to, to, to put a lie out. If that lie is exposed, you'll try and turn it around and try and make it look better again. That's politics. We're not into politics. But your question in terms of other, if you refer to other, yes, we've already got all the, 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 the uh, call it brown indigenous people involved in it. But the interesting thing is, and this might shock a lot of people, 
there are already some of the black big cultures that wants to talk to us that have sent envoys that wants to talk to have asked very clearly will we help them to secede as well why quite simply because they suffer as much they are also on the titanic they also realize that to secede well i realize and i know it's the only option except if anybody can t- give me another another option there is no other option to solve this problem but if these black and i'm talking about, i don't want to say who but there are more than one there are at least three big groupings that wants to secede as well then we know and we realize we are on the right path for sure Talking about racism, the ULA has been branded by some as slightly more racially inclined. Are you following this process to be to a specific race? Are you trying to bring back apartheid? Well, I think I've already answered that just now, but let me answer it again. It's interesting that that the people that say that we are more racially inclined and we want to bring back. Um, Apartheid, for instance, and only one culture, obviously haven't even had the decency to open a Google and go into our website. And they would have seen, if you open it up, you'll see, oh, a whitey and a colored together, president and a vice president. Interesting. So it can't be racist. So that one flies out of the window. Do we want to only work with certain cultures? Absolutely. Everybody that wants, and I've said it earlier, that legally wants to secede. In fact, I've just now mentioned, before you actually ask the question, there are even black groups that want wants me to help them to secede. So the person that says that we are racist, freethecape.org, and you open, you get not only see that we're not racist, but if you, if you have read all the stuff there, we already, in our new country, will not even have race classification. Oops! suddenly that argument of those people disappear. We won't even have race classification. So I think it's a bit difficult to then be racist. If Phoenix, what happened in Durban, happens in South Africa, what happens with the secession? Because it will be a nightmare that will be total anarchy in the country. How do you guys deal with that? Sir, let me answer you like that. Phoenix, that happened in Phoenix, Durban, a couple of months ago, was an isolated incident, but the reality is it wasn't planned as an isolated incident. It was planned to be bigger. And it was definitely not planned by, call it this way, anybody else than um, people, let's call it like that. But let me, call, let, let me give the facts because it's, on, it's all over. We all know this, this stuff. It comes from within the ANC. Okay? So I said earlier we've got to stop playing politics and we've got to call a spade a spade. It comes from within the ANC and we all know it. Interestingly enough, has anybody heard of anybody being prosecuted since then? Why not? That's interesting. The reality is, your question wasn't that, but I had to say that because we've got to know where these things come from. The ANC is already splitting up. The ANC in the highest ranks in the ministerial posts are already divided. That's why Phoenix happened. 
We know it. They know it. What will happen, that was your question, if it's not isolated only in one area, but it happens in, let's say, 10 cities, big towns. What is the other word for anarchy? It's a civil war. How do you determine a civil war? When is it a civil war? Very simple. A civil war is classified as a civil war when your government, your so-called mother country, does not have control over the indiscriminate killing, raping, and destruction of property through the security forces. Who's the security forces? The police and the army. I don't understand exactly what is meant by secession. Can you explain that more in layman's language so that I can understand it as well? Okay, secession is basically the international term under the international law of secession for the dividing of one country into two. The Americans talk about a two-state solution. You take one state, you make it two-state solution. Now, the newest, you'll perhaps recognize that the Americans talked about a lot of the two-state solution in Palestine. Interestingly enough, the ANC South African government supports that one. A two-state solution for Palestine. Not their own, because in South Africa, if we have a, a secession here of the minorities away from the majorities, then uh, I don't know who's going to earn the money to be able to forget about running the country to steal. So I hope that answers your question. Secession is the legal term for the breaking up of a country into two countries. Okay, I'm with you. Now you've broken it up into two, two parts. Sovereign two, countries. Two, two sovereign countries. That country inherits a certain population or a certain demographic. That demographic is also going to be 90, 10 or whatever, 10% earning the money and 90% not being, being, being supported by the 10% or whatever. How are we going to get past that type of thing? How are we going to solve the problem of a 90%? Okay. Firstly, it's not 90%, because like I said in the beginning, the area that we are looking at, at the minorities, is already the majority. It's already the majority. Then you go further back again to, not secession, but secession, funny enough, also talks about it, international law, on basically getting people that is illegal in your country out of your country. So if somebody is illegal in your country, you don't write letters to him and beg him and get him into the office or you go and see him or you go to a restaurant and have a meal with him and say, please, you are here illegal. You literally go to him and you say, you come with me, you out of the country. So the people that's illegal in the country will definitely be thrown out. Nice word. Done. Out. The next question, which you will ask, is, but how do you determine who's legal and who's illegal? Very simple. <clears throat> we will use the ANC's own government, their own laws. In terms of the act that they started in 1994 of getting land back to basically in the, the indigenous brown and 
specifically black people, is that they said if you can prove there was no proof, but proof that your people lived there back to a certain date. Do you know what that date is? 1913. That's the current law. Then the government will buy that farm or whatever back from the current owner and they will give it to that person. That already doesn't make sense, but be it as may, irrelevant. So now we can say, theoretically, anybody that can't prove that they or their people lived in that area that you seceded before 1913 is illegal there. But we won't be so ridiculous because we are not as ridiculous as the ANC. We will rather say, firstly, any foreigner that's there without any papers or false papers, because we know there's lots of false papers, there's approximately 20 million Africans in South Africa illegal. Some actually put it at, at a higher figure. So firstly, they'll be out. Then your, your people that's in that area, that's there illegal. But we will use the date of 1994. People that lived there legally before 1994 can stay legally. Now, we're all from Cape Town. We know what happened here. There wasn't that many people here. I'll put it this way. Unwanted people. The people that are here after 1994 came here because of political reasons. And what are those political reasons? Firstly, to vote for the ANC. We know it. We saw it. We all of us saw how they were bust in. We all know that, and I don't want to put a figure to that, but if I really look at it today, I would say very close to 80% of those people today doesn't even have a job in Cape Town. But why do they stay? They stay because they get Sasa. So what is Sasa? Government doesn't give them anything. It's our tax money. They get money to stay there to keep the ANC, at least in Cape Town, they're not in, 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 in government, but at least they get more seats. That's provincial as well as, as national. But it goes further than that. In Cape Town, and like the previous gentleman said, somebody said, we are racist. Well, our racist colored people that work with us, talk to them and ask them in Cape Town how they've been pushed out of their jobs. Literally pushed out. Why? Because the big national companies, they don't care about the people. They only care about money. So if the government says you will not have coloreds working there, they don't care. They kick them out and they put the other illegal people in. Those people that pushed <coughs> local people out of their jobs are then illegally there. Done. It's illegal. International law also is very clear on that you may not take somebody that is legal in an area out of their house or home or area and basically put them on the street. In this case, not on the street, but in a totally new and different country. That's not what we're going to do. What is the reality? I don't know how many of you have been in Transkei. Transkei is littered littered with brand new hop houses. And I don't have a figure, but I'll guess that of what I've seen. 
at least 90% of those hop houses are empty. Why are they empty? Because those people are here, and they've got hop houses here. So who's fooling who? Transkai, as a matter of interest, has got, and that's a known fact, the best agricultural land in South Africa. With funny enough, less agricultural going on in Transkai than in the dry Karoo. There's more lucerne produced in the Karoo than there's in total anything produced in Transkai. So are we that bad to say go back to your fantastic land? Because it is a fantastic land that they've got in terms of agriculture. We will send them back to their countries. Simple. Sorry, let me just quickly follow up on that. So um, 20 million people in South Africa, illegal immigrants. How many do you believe in the Western Cape? I don't know. But okay, so okay, let's say ten million, five million. No, I think it'll, it's it's less. No, no, it's much less. Uh, in, in most of them are in in um, the Gauteng area. Okay, but how would you practically send them back? Would it be well, uh, out of your out of your area, out of your new seceded land? So you would pick them up and uh, put them across the border. Absolutely. Okay. The way that any country in the world's doing it. Yeah. No, no, I just wanted clarification. No. Okay, sorry, sir. We've now created a secession, and the next thing which is worrying to me is job creation. What do you envisage, envisage is going to be created? Let's add another figure. Let's say, how are you going to create 10 million jobs in the area for people? Okay, firstly, there's a major problem with that question, because it's not the job of a government to create jobs. It's the, jo the job of a government is to create the atmosphere, the conditions, for companies and business to thrive and thereby create jobs. That is one of the biggest political ploys that all political parties use. We will create jobs. How are they going to create jobs? What are they going to do? Start open up shops at, on every corner. They can't create jobs. If a government wants to create jobs, they can only create jobs by spending tax money on infrastructure projects which doesn't bring money in, which costs money. So that circle, which by the way we are in in South Africa at the moment, will only sink a country eventually. So what will we do? That's the next question. Simple. Our financial system starts off with already registered a new monetary system. It's a digital monetary system, but also with coins. coins I say coins quite simply because it will be backed, it's an asset-backed digital currency, which means it's not dependent on supply and demand. That's bad. That's the reason why the world is in the problem that we are in. Supply and demand, although it's year one, book one, verse one on, uh, in an economy, supply and demand, it's very serious when you talk about a currency where other people or countries or rich individuals can manipulate a currency. Once it's asset-backed, that can't happen. It's impossible. Why do you think doesn't the world want that? Exactly for that reason. So already that's what we will do. And with that, just saying that, I've already put a cross this big on my, on my body for the big people trying to get rid of that. That's why they, one of the big reasons why they got rid of, of Gaddafi because that's exactly what he wanted to do. That's the first thing. Secondly, that digital currency will also be physical. 
meaning you will be able to carry a gold coin or a platinum coin or a silver coin or even a copper coin if you want to. It'll be called the Gilda. It's already registered. But in terms of the economy, because it boils back to the economy, how do you, how do you create the atmosphere? To start off with, let's go back to the current system in South Africa. At the moment, the internal revenue services or the, what do they call it, SARS, they utilize approximately 25% of all revenue that comes in as revenue. Seven, and I'm not talking about the stealing yet, huh? don't misunderstand me, and the corruption. 75% of the money that they get in is used for costs, salaries, rent, electricity, everything, audits, everything, 75%. 25% goes to the ANC government, and then the question is how much of the 25% goes into, into infrastructure, and I suppose, and, and I'm serious, I wonder if it's 5%, the rest gets stolen, and we know it. So, to start off with, a digital currency is something that is absolutely, you can't hack it, you can't misuse it, but you also can't steal it. But it, but it boils down to back to the economy. What do we envisage? And this is not a thumbsuck, briarflysphere discussion. This is serious stuff that we've looked at. Personal tax will go down to 0%. Company tax will go to 0%. You're getting worried. I can see that. Why are you worried? Because we will have only 5% transactional tax. Transactional tax is a different kind of VAT. That at the moment happens to be 15%. But you've got to understand the process behind it. VAT, you only pay once on the article. Transactional tax, you pay every time that you sell that article. Okay? That's the other side of the coin. But the interesting thing is that with 5% transactional tax, the government that we envisage, which by the way is a much, much smaller government than 400 fat people sitting and are very honorable by shouting at each other and doing nothing, absolutely nothing other than putting their hands up for their masters. If they've got a vote, they don't vote in their own, they get told what to vote for. That is not democracy. That is called a dictatorship. Now, if you have 5% transactional tax, you will in more than three times the amount that they're currently in. Plus, then you've got to put the 75% on top of that. So my question to you is, will we have enough money to create a growing economy, attracting foreign companies and investors, because they've got no tax, attracting by that companies that will create jobs? Singapore is just... One of the examples that happened to be extremely successful and our model, which we've gone through with a lot of people, and I'm talking about people that really understand it, 
will make Singapore look like a kindergarten. If you look at the last election results, South Africa to me has become apolitical. But it's, it's not, 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 not really a, a strong party which came out of it. So to me, run it like a business and make it apolitical and uh, do, do the Singapore model. Well, the, the right, the, the, the the, interesting the right thing person is, into the right job and South Africa will bloom. The interesting thing is if you, if you look at our website, uh, freethecape.org, you will see, because that's one of the international requirements for secession, is that you've also got to be able to prove to the world and to your own people what kind of business and government model you are putting up. And what we envisage, in any case, is to have a total free society where people can really do their thing in business as well the way they want to, to do it. Uh, I always ask the people a simple question. If you want to go and take hunting as an example or fishing, you go to the government and you need a license. Okay? You need a license to go and hunt. We all know it. Really? A license. Do they ask what gun do you have? Are you competent? Have you hunted before? What are you going to hunt? No. It's another way of tax. Just pay the money, there you go. They're not interested in the rest. It's all about money. It's all about money and not the economy. Because the money, specifically South Africa at the moment, is most probably one of the worst in the world, where we've got such a heavy-loaded government, and that goes right down to municipalities. We can't afford it anymore. How long do you think will it take for this economy to start folding? And the answer is, we've already started folding. We need one downgrade, then we are in full junk status. Does people realize what junk status mean? I'll tell you what genuine junk status mean. It means that the international investors are forced not to not invest, but to withdraw their investments. We are then guaranteed in a civil war. Why do I say that? Because the poor person on street level will not have the money to buy, forget about a bread, a slice of bread. So where will he get his money? I mean his, his bread, his food. When you, you ask the question about job creation, etc., a very important thing is this, that when you look at the economic viability of an independent Western Cape, we should not be starting off with the questions of job creation and uh, and how much investment can be attracted, etc., etc. The first question that has to be asked is this. How viable and desirable is it to remain part of a country that is headed for certain failed state conditions? You don't want to be in that country at all. Full stop. You don't have to argue any further. Any other uh, reasons produced in favor of economic viability of an independent Western Cape is almost incidental. The reality is you don't want to be part of a failed state that is going to be subjected to civil war, social unrest, and all the horrible things that go with it. I agree with you. That's great. And I, and I hear what you're saying. But let's say we are there. We, we've done that. We've successfully broken away and there. Still, we've got mouths to feed. We've got to have 
food, water, electricity, services, that type of thing. That must be insured. Because giving a guy a house, giving him a car, giving him a bed, giving him a blanket, doesn't solve the problem. Okay, let me, let me just add yeah, to that, please. You um, must have food. You must. So yeah. breaking away is, okay, we, we're not part of that final state, and, but what are we going to do? What is there for so us That's, that's an, the next question. Part of what we, it's on our website again, freethecape.org. Part of what we do and what we envisage is to have what I coined the term, we will start ikabutsus. We don't call it kibutsus quite simply because we are different. But the ikabutsus will also be different. The ikabutsus will basically be the, 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 the place where you will get those people that become jobless, that are immediately jobless, and that need to have a place to sleep, need food, but also needs to, to get their own pride back because they've lost everything. And we're talking about a permanent situation like this because, for instance, one of the things that we foresee is that we will not have any person begging on the street or sleeping on the street because it's not necessary. If you sleep at, on the street because if you lost your job, you'll be taken to an ikabutz, you'll be given a decent room, and the next day you'll get up and you'll go and work on the vegetable farm or with a sheep or whatever. So you will work for your accommodation and your food. Handouts, handouts doesn't work. People that give handouts want something back. And when it's given by politicians, they only want one thing back. And that's a vote. The vote means more to them than the food for those people. Because that means millions, and as we've seen in South Africa and are seeing, billions that they can steal. So the people will be taken to ikabutsas. Yes, we obviously will have jails as well, but that's a different story. But each and every town, cities obviously many more, will have ikabutsas that will have kindergartens, frail cares with Alzheimer's centers, all that stuff. That, that is a very difficult and expensive thing to run by the community or the government. So now suddenly you're sitting with people that doesn't have a job, they're on the street, and it's easier for them to beg than to work. Gone, over, it's not necessary. Get your dignity back and go and work to stay alive. And if that's what you needed to really get your dignity back, that same ikabuts will have an HR person that will look for jobs for those people. Meaning that suddenly this ikabuts becomes like a, like a, call it a socialist system if you want to, where it helps the people totally to get on their feet. But once they're out, they're out again. If they fall back, they come back. That's fine. So, the reality is nobody needs to sleep on the street and nobody, nobody needs to get a house, electricity, um, I don't know, whatever else is promised for free. That's nonsense. The old saying, you're not helping them. The old saying of rather help somebody to fish than to give him a fish is, is the principle that we will follow. Bantu Olemisa, I got that. Yeah. Very good. 
Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, I, so if we secede, I just read an article the other day. It's when we secede. Yeah, okay, when we secede. Okay, I read an article that each South Africa citizen are in 233 million rand debt. So we owe the world, each South, South Africa. So that debt, uh, what's happening with that in, in, a, in a situation? That's an interesting question. I didn't know the exact figure. I knew it was over 200 million rand per person if you divide, if you divide it. Um, which my immediate reaction would be South Africans would be in 233 million rand debt and the illegals nothing. Interesting. But the question, I mean, the, the question is, is, it goes further than that, what happens to the debt? When I marry a woman and we divorce, she went and she bought herself a mansion at the sea and a three cars and whatever. And I decided, well, I'll buy myself an aircraft and whatever. The moment you divorce, and if I say divorce you're out of community because we are not married to this country in community of property, it's out of community, then she must pay her own debt. I must pay my own debt. In secession, if you secede, that country that secedes does not pay the debt. There's also negotiations that, that let's say, for instance, they were working on the Kuburg nu nuclear power station and they were doing a lot of maintenance there. Yo, but I'm talking nonsense because they don't even do that. Interesting, eh? But let's say, for instance, they were doing that and there's an international company busy there and we owe them a certain amount. I mean, obviously, that, then you're going you're gonna to take that debt and you're going to pay it. But... We know as a fact, as a fact, that literally 100%, but we may not say 100%. So 99% of all contracts in this country, there's a kickback. There's fraud involved. So now, why was, must we pay for that fraud? We won't do it. And we don't have to. So to answer that question, simple. It's not our debt. We will start off debt-free. And in fact, our business model shows that by renewing our infrastructure and adding new infrastructure with the 5% transactional tax that we've got, we'll have enough money to do it. Why? Quite simply because no business in the world survives if the expense is more than the income. Why must governments be different? Because the sheep will pay for it. That's why. Well, we won't have sheeple in our country because they'll be part of the problem, which is now they'll be part of the solution and part of the freedom. So I hope that answers the, your question. Uh, uh, yeah, I think just practically, I think we've never covered this subject, but the minorities in South Africa, what would this map look like? So I think you're talking about the Western Cape? No, no. Um, the minorities in South Africa, the areas... I wrote a letter to Ramaphosa, but he'll say he doesn't know. I don't know what he knows, but he won't know about that one either. Although it was delivered by the sheriff of the court, he won't know about it. On the 19th of February, 2000, sorry, the 17th of, 17th of February, 2019, delivered by the sheriff of the court to his officers in Pretoria. And that letter basically condenses the whole process that we've had explains it very nicely and clearly, quite simply because that letter wasn't only given to Ramaphosa, it was also given 
to Antonio Guterres, Trump and 65 other countries, ambassadors and presidents. And in that letter, we even gone as far as to say the number of the voting district which we were all to secede. So if he says he doesn't know, then I suppose he goes into the Zuma mode of not understanding figures. Some would say that the ULA's position is very conservative, limiting your potential appeals. So on environment, you say the ULA is trapped by the climate change hysteria. On abortion, you say any destruction of life after implantation is murder and will be treated as such. And on the death penalty, you'll say there's zero tolerance and you'll advocate for the return of the death penalty and corporal punishment, which I found interesting. Yeah, so. Well, to start off with, um, we see ourselves in any cases as conservative libertarians. But then again, um, liberals, even far left liberals, also loves security and safety. We all want safety. I don't care which side of the spectrum you are, you want security and safety. So in terms of, of, of those questions, well, I can't remember all of them, but uh, let's start off with, what was the first one? Climate change. Climate you, change. You climate history. change, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big contentious thing. Are we really having a big effect on climate? I think, let, let's be politically correct about this and say there are 50% of scientists that say we do have and 50% that say we don't have it at all. Why? Because there's enough proof that the climate over the past thousands of years have gone up and down and up and down, and there's no proof that um, a thousand years ago there were cars and aircraft and uh, power plants and air, whatever to put all the stuff back into the air. So the reality is, no, we don't believe this hype of, 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 of climate change. We don't. The next one was? Okay, so destruction of life, abortion. Abortion. Abortion, to us, is a, it's, it's a very, very important one. Quite simply because if you believe in life, what is the life of a baby? What is that then? It's not a life. You know, the, the, to, to rather explain it like this again, you see it all the time on social media. Uh, and this must be an American one because they say if you kill a, if you take an egg of a bald eagle in America, the fine is $10,000. But if you kill a baby, that's fine. So where's the reality in that? A baby is life and that's murder. And the person that kills that baby is a murderer. So that's where we stand with. And the death penalty and the corporal punishment? Well, okay, <laughs> the death penalty. We've got a serious problem in South Africa with murders. If we talk about total murders in the past 27 years, do you know how many there are? Too much. 500,000. 500,000. Yes, there were 4,000 farm murders, but in total there were 500,000 murders. How do you stop this? Are we going to talk nice to these people and beg them not to do it? Well, firstly, I think we're going to get rid of a lot of those, of those lawless people. But we do not believe that somebody that takes another person's life has got the right to live. 
is that our decision to make that a law of, of, of um, the death penalty? No, it's not, but that's what we propose, because that's how we think. So we definitely believe that the death penalty will be um, the beginning of the end of this lawlessness in this country, because that death penalty is not only murdering people, it's also rape. Because funny enough, our women are more important to us than the murderer. Mm. Okay, so the last question, I mean, it's been a fascinating conversation, but the last question I want to ask you is your opinion of the Seidlanders. I mean, it seems like they have bought a big chunk of the Northern Cape. What do you think uh, is their chances there of creating... I've got absolutely no problem with the Seidlanders. The Seidlanders is a, is a civil... A defense organization that's doing fantastic work and to be honest with you they one of the organizations that are at least doing something for when the pawpaw hits the fan at least the fan won't be turning because electricity will be off but the pawpaw will still break they're doing something so what is my opinion of them good hi no problem Okay, great. But I mean, okay, Ayn, thank you so much for your time. I... Yes, sir? Ayn, do you have interim government? Well, very, very good question. Interim government is one of the international requirements on the secession law. And an interim government must be put in place in order to secede. Now, in order for you to put a democratic interim government in place, you need all the people to be part of the process. Unfortunately, not all of the people in South Africa even know about the secession movement. So with the situation in South Africa as it is, with the current situation where the possibility of a civil war is at least, must I be politically correct or practically correct? Practically. Over 90%. Politically, it's over 50%. It's high. It's extremely high. But because we, we haven't reached everybody in South Africa to have a genuine democratic process of getting everybody involved to say, you want to be Minister of uh, Journalism, we haven't reached you. So what do we do? We've got to keep going with that process of having the interim government. But if a, if a civil war breaks out tomorrow, what do we do? if we don't have an interim government in place. We haven't put the stuff in place that is a requirement for international law to secede. So what we said was, we will put an emergency interim government in place. And the answer is yes, we do have an emergency interim government in place. And with that, I'm also telling the people, if you want to get involved with the interim government, or in this case, the emergency interim government, contact us. It's not a closed group. What we are doing, we're doing it for everybody, including the people that doesn't understand what it's about and wants to attack the process, but they do it because they don't understand or they've got a different agenda. And, and they're qualified to do the job. <laughs> well, we, we definitely don't believe in nepotism, but we definitely also don't believe in appointing people that can't do the job to push whatever agenda it is. In a lot of cases, currently in South Africa, the agenda is to, is to appoint somebody for no other reason than for that person to 
pay a certain amount of money back to you. As ridiculous as it might sound, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. Well, thank you, Iron. Thank you so much for your uh, strong arguments that you've made. I want to give you one last opportunity to add, plug, or say anything that you want to before we conclude. I'd love the people to go to www.freethecape.org and go and register because the ULA cannot secede for you without you. That's called democracy. Thank you. Yes. Well, thank you, Ayn, to our viewers. If you've made it this far, you most certainly enjoyed our content. So please consider liking this video, sharing it as widely as possible, and subscribing to our channel. My name is Donald, and you've been watching Worldview.